Keep your Bibles open to Matthew 18. This is going to be the text that we're looking at as we discuss what Jesus is teaching us in this parable that will hopefully help us pray this prayer, the fifth petition, with perhaps a little bit more intentionality. Take this a little bit more seriously as we pray, Father, forgive us, and then help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. We've been going through this sermon series. Uh, The first three petitions, the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer have everything to do with God, His character, His ability to impact both the physical world, the spiritual world. It's about His nature, how holy He is, how awesome He is. But in the last four petitions, Jesus teaches us that we can pray for the things that we need. Last week, we looked at how we can pray for the things that we need physically, our daily bread. He summarizes it like that. And then today, of course, he's preaching, teaching us how to pray for something so deeply spiritual. In fact, I would argue it is the core of our Christian faith. And yet, if you've ever experienced someone sinning against you, someone hurting you in such a way, this can be a very difficult thing for us to pray for. So let's start by looking at this parable. What I'd like to do is unpack the teaching. Let's see uh, what hidden meaning Jesus has in this parable for us. And I hope to leave you with three practical ways, three points of application on this text that will help, again, enrich your prayer lives. So the first thing you need to know is, of course, this is a parable. Uh, Modern English uh, will call this an allegory. This is where Jesus is using characters in this story to um, hide the true nature of the individual. So in this case, just like the parable of the talents that we looked at a few weeks ago, the king, the master, is our heavenly father, which then makes the servants, they're supposed to represent us. These are believers. These are Christians. You know, Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? That means brother in Christ, fellow believer. So this is insider baseball. If you are a Christian here today, Jesus is teaching us. If you're not a Christian, I don't want you to tune out, but I just want you to know that this is a serious teaching for those who have dedicated their lives to Christ. And it starts with a question, very interesting question, I think. Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I should forgive him? Is it as many as seven times? And I think this is a great question because, in a sense, Peter is in some ways looking for a loophole. You know, maybe there's another fellow disciple who he can't stand, who keeps bugging him, annoying him, sinning against him. He's like, Jesus, you know Thomas. How many times am I supposed to forgive him? Up to seven times? I mean, that's a lot. And Jesus responds. He says, well, not actually seven times, but 77 times. This is a way in the Hebrew world and the Jewish uh, religion to denote infinity. You don't just forgive them seven times, you forgive them every single time they ask up until the day you die. And right away, we're faced with a dilemma. And I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to forgive a person. If they're going to come to me and ask me for forgiveness for the very same thing over and over and over again, I'm going to start to grow very cynical. I'm going to start to say, this person is truly not really sorry, because if they were sorry, they would change their behavior. That's the way we think. And the disciples, being human beings, of course, they would have had those same questions like, Jesus, come on, you can't be serious. Jesus knows their hearts, Jesus knows our hearts, and so he teaches using this parable. It's like he gathers the disciples around, it's story time with Jesus. Gather around, let me tell you the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We'll stop there because uh, this is an extraordinary amount of money. We don't use talents to count our money. Uh, We talked about this a few weeks ago in the parable of the talents. One talent is the equivalent of about modern-day $1 million. So we're talking about hedge fund money here. This is billions and billions of dollars. Something that a a wage, a blue-collar worker could never pay off in their lifetime. In a million lifetimes, they couldn't pay this off. And the master, again, meant to represent your heavenly father, says, hey, you owe me billions of dollars. It's time to pay up. And the guy's like, I'm a little short this month. Can't pay it. And so the master does what would have been very normal. In fact, it was legal in Roman law. He takes the man, his wife, and his children, and he's going to sell them as property to recoup some of his losses. Legal in Roman law. What does the man do? He begs for mercy. Can you imagine this guy on his knees? He's holding onto the robe of this king. He's grabbing the man's feet. Please, master, please, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And maybe some of you have had an experience like that when you've carried great weight of of guilt and sin and you've pleaded with Jesus, Jesus, would you please forgive me? This is what this man is doing. And I love, I love, it shows us the heartbeat of God. The very first reaction the king, the master has is what? Is mercy. He has pity on the man. Imagine this debt, billions of dollars. He wipes it clean. Now, as shocking as that is for us in our society, I mean, in our society, uh, we've got bankruptcy courts, right? You would write this off as a tax write-off, like, okay, lost this year, whatever, at least I'll get some tax money back. There's no such thing in first century Rome. It's like his debt was wiped clean and he maintained an 800 credit rating. (laughs) It's gone. Now, the same man, Jesus continues in the story, goes out, and if you look at with me in verse 28, the Greek here says that he went out and he found one of his fellow servants. This is implying that he actually knew where this guy lived. He sought him out on purpose because he knew that he was owed some money. So as the second he receives all this grace, all this mercy, he immediately goes out to find somebody who owes him money, and he doesn't stop there. He knocks on the guy's door, and he assaults him. It shows us a little bit about his heart. He has a hardened heart. Nothing has impacted him. This grace that he received, it's like it bounced off his own heart. He goes to the guy's house. He's choking him. He's assaulting him. And he's saying, pay me what you owe me. He's an angry man. The second servant, what does he do? He does the exact same thing the first servant does. He pleads with the man, please, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Give me some time and I will pay what I owe you. But this time, verse 30 The first servant refused. Another important Greek word here. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It doesn't just mean that he refused. It means that he has hardened his heart so much that he is saying, I will never in a million years forgive your debt. I refuse to even consider uh, forgetting your debt. You're done to me. And what does he do? He throws him in jail so he could pay what he owes. And this is remarkable because Jesus is being very, uh, he's using exaggeration uh, here, hyperbole, a billion dollars compared to the hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is a couple hundred days of work. It's a couple thousand dollars. It's so minuscule compared to the debt that he was just forgiven. And Jesus is saying, look, this man's heart was so hardened that he refused to even consider how much 
the master had forgiven him, he's refusing to forgive this small little amount of money that is owed. So now when you know that, you can see why the master is so angry, right? The lesson was lost on him, and it says in our text that, that he finds out that these servants, or what the first servant has done, he calls him into his office and he, he chides him. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, verse 34, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And hear what Jesus is doing. He's getting us to think critically about this. This is amount of debt that would take millions and millions of years for this man to pay off. And what he's essentially saying is, look, this is kind of like hell, where you are separated from your master, you're separated from your king for eternity, paying off a debt. It's eternal separation from his heavenly father. It's eternal separation from his king. And the story ends. You can imagine like you're telling a story to your kids. You close the book of your story. And Jesus looks directly in the eyes of his disciples. And he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now this kind of teaching from Jesus probably leaves you in a little bit of a weird posture. And Jesus is being very intentional on this. And I will argue, if you just give me a second here, I will argue that this is actually a good place for us to be spiritually for just a second. To be convicted by the law. Because chances are, as you sit on this verse, you might think to yourself, well, wait a minute. Have I truly forgiven everybody who has wronged me from my heart? And God, do you understand the amount of pain that I have suffered the betrayal that I have experienced, the woundedness that I have experienced from another person who has hurt me, and there are some serious wounds and hurts in this room. And you might go, I don't know if I have the faith to forgive this person from my heart. And believe it or not, spiritually speaking, for just a second, this is a good place for us to be because this is the work of the law. The law is designed to crush the sin inside of us. It's designed to root it out. It's designed to shine a light on it, to expose it so that we can then be restored. We can find true healing by the power of the gospel. The law crushes. It's the gospel that heals the brokenness of our heart. And so for just a second, it's good to be there. But now let's move out of that sense of shame and guilt and wonder and fear that we might have. Because again, there's three things in this text that God would show us about the nature of forgiveness, how we can receive it from our Heavenly Father, and then how we can receive it from our Heavenly Father and then pass it out, give it out to those who have wronged us. And the first point is this, very obvious, but it's worth saying. Jesus actually has to teach us to pray for forgiveness, to ask for help, to forgive other people because it is not a natural inclination of our heart. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago, uh, I had my very first truck. I purchased a truck, and I told you this before. I love vehicles. I love trucks, but this was like my particular baby truck. Um, I treated it 
probably better than my two children. I washed it every day. I waxed it. I would park 10 spaces away because I didn't want anybody to dare touch my truck. Okay, I love this truck. And one day I go to the Home Depot. I park my truck appropriately 20 spaces away. I walk out of the Home Depot only to find, in my utter horror and shock, a guy was taking his big, massive cart and thinking that he could just, like, I don't know, use the force and push this cart into the little cart receptacle. He's like, free willy, the cart's just going off on his way. And it slammed right into my truck. And this man gets into his vehicle and he drives away, could care less the damage that he's done to the truck. I run to my truck and I look at my baby. It's got a ding on it. It's got a scratch on it. And in that moment, I will confess to you that I am filled with wrath. I am filled with rage. You know, I'm thinking if there's any good thing about being a pastor, at least I can call down fire and thunder on this person. Like, God, smite this man. Honestly, that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Now, the very last thing in my heart was a desire to forgive. And I share that story with you because I'm talking about a truck. <laughs> in fact, I don't even have that truck anymore. I, I'm talking about a truck. How are we supposed to forgive when somebody wounds us far more seriously than a ding in our vehicle's door? And again, there's real hurt in this room. There's betrayal. We have been, people in this room have been attacked. They've been assaulted. They have been wounded in such a way that you might be thinking, God, how in the world can I possibly forgive? And because the nature of our heart is not bent towards forgiveness, Jesus, number one point, actually has to teach us to pray for it. Why? Because we need an outside external force to help us do that that's number one number two equally important then is we have to remember where the source of forgiveness comes from in the first place if you look back with me in this text you could think of this parable like a story there's or like a movie there's three scenes in the movie and the very first scene this is important because it begins with forgiveness the servant can't pay off this incredible debt, and he goes to his master, he goes to his heavenly father, and he says, I can't pay off this debt. Have mercy on me. And the second he does that, what does the master do? He has mercy. He forgives. And this is intentional because it shows us that this is the very heartbeat of God. In fact, the very and the, old, the sole purpose of Jesus coming into this world was so that you could have a forever relationship with your heavenly father, but there was something that was blocking that. There was something that was keeping us from having that relationship, and that was our sin. So Jesus came with a singular mission, a singular vision. It was to win you back to him forever, to forgive you. And what happened when you were forgiven, what happened when you were brought into God's kingdom by grace, whether it was at your baptism or it was a moment in time when you finally realized, oh, I believe in Jesus, your heart was changed. Your heart was covered by what, we, what Scripture calls the blood of the Lamb. Your heart became not your own. It's like you had heart surgery. Your heart was transplanted with the heart of Jesus Christ himself. You were won by grace, adopted by grace into his family forever. Your heart was changed. And so when you look at a verse like 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You have to understand if you are a Christian in the room today, it is not your heart that is going to forgive another person. 
It is the amazing store of grace, the, the amount of grace that is heaven coming through the heart that was transplanted, the heart that was won over out into this world. You can do nothing on your own outside of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a gift from heaven flowing through you out into this world. And if you're struggling with forgiving, you got to remember, number two, where that grace comes from. It is a pure gift of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Wherein lies a problem. There are times when we might know we need to forgive someone, but the emotional baggage that comes with the amount of sin that a person has done against us is still there. And so we say, well, Lord, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I am so angry at this person. I am so hurt by this person. The last thing that I want to do is forgive. I want revenge, Lord. That's why we have to remember point number three, that there is a difference. We must make a distinction between our desire to forgive, our decision to forgive, and the emotional feelings we might have towards the person who has wronged us. Let me say that again. We have to make a distinction between our desire, our choice to forgive, and the emotional feelings, our internal emotions that we have towards the one who has wronged us. I, I love the way a commentator on this text puts it. He says this, Forgiveness can be seen as a spirit-led choice, an act of the regenerated will of a Christian, and the emotions may follow along in agreement, or they may need to be dragged kicking and screaming into the new situation. In other words, in other words, because it is not you who's actually forgiving, but Jesus forgiving through you, you can make a decision to forgive a person and still not be there emotionally in your heart. You can say to a person, I forgive you, and you could still have the anger, still have the pain, because the point is this, it is not your emotions that forgive the other person. It is not your emotions that forgives the other person. It is Jesus Christ, your Savior, who forgives through your heart. So what that means for us is actually really good news. It means for us that whatever you're thinking about right now, the person that you're struggling to forgive, you can make a choice in your head. You can say, Lord, oh, this is tough. They don't deserve my forgiveness. They may not even have said sorry, but Lord, I choose to forgive them this day, and would you then follow up the mess of my emotions and clean those up by your grace? And the way we can do that, if you look at this word in the Greek, uh, the verb to forgive, it means something like this. It means to release. It means to loosen the grip on the retribution that that person deserves. And honestly, I could walk up to Pastor Abel, I could punch him in his face. Not that I've ever thought that but I could punch him in his face he deserves to punch me right back I deserve it but forgiveness is I am releasing the retribution I'm releasing the justice that this person owes and I'm entrusting it to a holy God Paul says in Romans chapter 12 do not seek revenge but leave room for God's wrath and God will he's a God of justice he will return and whether it's on this life or the life to come we can entrust that to God by letting go by forgiving and then trusting that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the love, the storehouse of grace that Jesus has built up on your behalf, 
that he comes alongside us so that we can pray with confidence, with great faith, Father, forgive us and help us forgive those who sin against us. And it's in the name of Jesus, died and risen for you, that we can confidently say, Amen.